Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Great to have you here on the Smart Investing Show. I am president of Wilsey Asset Management, and we are the proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. And great to have you here on the Smart Investing Show. Got a lot to talk about today. We got the Consumer Conference came out this past week. wasn't a big uh, a big number, but we'll talk about that today. Uh, Apple. Could they buy Disney? That was rumored this week. We'll talk about that. And then also, to back to cryptos, Binance, the last uh, one we'll call it uh, still standing. Seems to be some cracks there. We'll discuss more on Binance in the crypto area. Chase, what do you got this morning? Well, as always, you want to join the show. Phone number here, 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. Again, here to take those calls for you. you got a question about a particular company. We call them companies. You may think of them as stocks. But uh, we'll be here to break that down for you. Or you got a question about the economy, you know, financial planning type issues. We're, we're here for that as well. And today is April Fool's Day. We're not going to fool you on anything. But uh, we also got to announce that today, uh, today is Chase's birthday. So happy, uh, happy birthday. You got big plans today, I believe, right? Yeah, we're doing a little brewery tour around the cool. San Diego brewery places. We're going to Ale Smith and we're going to Duckfoot and going to Harlan. So we're, we're excited. It's going to be a good time. Except for Alesmith, I don't even know those other places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Alesmith's a big one, obviously. But yeah. uh, you know, all I want for my birthday is the Padres to to win tonight instead of uh, continuing this losing slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, it's only two games. So, I know. You know, but it's like, uh, yeah, tonight will be the night. So that you're not going the game tonight, are you? No, we're no. just gonna watch it on TV. Yeah. We were there last night. Uh, thank you for the Padres for hosting us in their suite there last night. That was. Uh, Fantastic, and I uh, wish they would have won, but uh, it was a great time. So thank you, Padres. For, they'll get it rolling. Yeah, they'll get it rolling. All right, well, well let's talk about the, the business side here, and let's talk about consumer confidence because I was happy to see the consumer confidence number come in at 104.2 for March, which was up from February's 103.4. For me, this is another positive sign that will not have that major recession and that consumers will continue to spend on goods and services. I do want to emphasize this is a good number, not a great number. The reason I say that was from 2008 to 2012, the confidence number was below 60. But in 2019, it rose to nearly 140. So, again, about 40 points below where we were at uh, in terms of the height. So I am happy with the current number for now, but it is something to keep an eye on. And I did have somebody actually on social media say, well, it wasn't a great indicator back in 2007. And yeah, you're right. But the big thing you have to look at was what happened in 2007 wasn't the collapse of the consumer. It was the issues in the banking system. Correct. So yeah. it's not enough just to look at consumer confidence, but it is one piece of the puzzle. You can't ignore that consumers still feel good, but it, you have to look at the whole picture. There are other issues out there, essentially, but this is one thing that, again, continues to provide optimism. And that's one thing you would say. You can't look at one indicator and say, oh, this is going to happen. That's not going to happen. We look at so many different things to look at um, that, that you got to do that because that person, oh, it wasn't a great indicator back in 2007. No, it was not. But there was other things that were a good indicator. I remember being on the news talking about real estate's way too expensive. Oh, you're just a wet blanket. No, it's a problem. Um, you've got to look at all the factors. I mean, 
shoot, if it was, it was that easy, it's like we wouldn't be working 60 hours a week, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, the other thing is it was a terrible indicator in 2019, but gosh, you would have known COVID was right around the corner as well. So That's another one. It, it's just there's going to be these black swan events, but but there's the data that we need to continue to look at that could point to potential issues and potential pitfalls. Right now, this is something that, again, we talk a lot about consumers still having money. Uh, debt has been increasing a little bit, but it's really, again, reverting to pre-pandemic levels. I mean, the consumer is still in a good spot. Right. Not a fantastic spot, but a good spot. And, and people say, well, if you got the COVID event, what's the point of even looking at the data? Because things can come out, the black swans can come out and destroy you anyways, because then you can understand how you're going to make it through that situation. And during COVID, what we did, uh, where people were like panicking and selling, and we were buying like crazy because we said, wait, everything else is good. We've got a strong this, we've got that, and so forth. Uh, that was probably... I believe my second best year, my 40 years as far as performance uh, in 2020 uh, for new money coming in. I mean, it was just a fantastic time to buy because you saw things on fire sales and we said, okay, unless COVID kills everybody, you know, we've got fundamentals on the economy that will get through it. So if you understand what's going on, you can weather those storms much better than just panicking and selling and getting out. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is, oh, who cares if, you know, we're going to have... Well, first of all, COVID was like the worst thing since the Spanish flu in what, 1918? I mean, I it, so. yeah. years. And then also, I mean, we've had actually a pretty difficult couple of decades when you look at it. <laughs> yeah. and in 2008, 2009, I mean, that was really the worst thing since the Great Depression in 1929. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe we're due here for a good next uh, 80 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, when you go back in history on investing, I mean, it's difficult because, I mean, you didn't live through yeah. it, but I, but I lived through it. But, but back in, I mean, we had the great, you know, 80s. That was great. Uh, but during the 70s, you had the Vietnam yeah. War. You, you, you have other things. And when you get the news, it's fresh in your mind. But I believe this is kind of like the norm of different things that happen. And that's with investing. That's why you got to focus on the fundamentals because you're going to get all this outside noise. But at the end of the day, will consumers consume? And yes, they will at different levels. And you got to understand what those levels are. I, I want to take back my statement about 80 years because when I think back to it, it's like, we talk again about World War One, yeah. World War Two, <laughs> Vietnam War. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of different things. Yeah. But that, that's the thing, too, is there's always going to be this chaos. And I sound like a broken record here, but the thing that you look at is what has done well through all this chaos? Stocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean the, 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 the numbers are on stocks are just phenomenal. You go back to the 70s, and then, uh, I, I don't think we did the post on this yet, so I'll just kind of blurt it out there. We'll, we'll get more exact numbers for you. But you go back to the 70s and on real estate, like, wow, since then it's up like 900%. Like, wow, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I'm rich doing that. On the S&P or actually on stocks, I, I don't know if it's S&P or not, but on stocks, 16,000%. I mean, it, it's far better to invest in equities, but the problem is people get emotional. They sell out because, oh, you know, we're going to have uh, China this or the roar or this or Pam. You know, you can't do that. So hey, to burst your bubble. That has already gone out in the newsletter, the post. And we did talk about it on the radio. So it well, is it's good. Worth, hey, worth saying again. It is worth saying again. <laughs> it is important. Well, let's move on to uh, Apple and Disney because this came out this past week. And, and, and there was talk this past week that Apple may be buying Disney. Uh, no numbers have been released yet. But I do not believe this will take place or that it would make any sense for Apple. Apple may be looking uh, for the media side to help grow Apple TV. But if you buy Disney, you must also take care of the theme parks and the cruise lines, which, well, Apple has really no experience or I feel no desire to get into that business at all. 
They, they could also spin those off, but I, I think if they were going down that path, they would be better off to either buy like a Warner Brothers or a Paramount, which are our pure media plays. Also, keep in mind, Apple has not done any major purchases in, in recent years, and its largest came in 2014 when it bought Beats for $3 billion. To buy Disney, the current market cap is nearly $180 billion. They would need to buy it at a premium, too, so they'd pay more than $180 oh, right, billion. Dollars. Correct. Also, Warner Bros., they're at uh, $37 billion, and Paramount's just over $14 billion. So, again, a fraction of the price, essentially, of Disney to get that same concept of getting content, getting studios. And I, I think that would be a far better strategic play for Apple than, again, going down Disney's path. Because, you know, Disney obviously has been very successful with the theme parks and so forth, yep. but Apple's been successful in very high-margin businesses. Right. And this is a whole new challenge for them to tackle. I, I just, I, I think you're right. I think you'd have to spend it off, but then you'd kind of lose the magic of Disney, perhaps. And it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it's something that I, I just, I would be shocked if that happened. Yeah, and, and and it'll make a lot more sense. So we said Warner Brothers. I mean, Paramount, fourteen billion. That's a lot less than what they pay for Disney. And again, premium could be twenty-eight billion, but still, Apple could do that if they want to. But even that will probably slow down their growth. But it is. It, it, Again, you can't have just cell phones forever. They've got to get in the streaming. They got to do other things. That that could make a lot of sense. Buying a a Paramount for twenty five million or billion, not million, but a billion. Because what what are they going to do next? They've got to do something next. You can't just keep doing what they're doing. Their growth will slow. Well, and especially if the TV is something they're passionate about. I, I mean, one of my favorite shows is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, I think it's a, a great show on Apple TV. There's pretty funny, um, but it is produced by Warner Bros. Yeah. So I, I feel like if Apple wants to take that next step, it, it's very difficult to get IP. Right. It, you're <clears> almost <throat> better off buying the IP because it's going to take you years to establish that credibility and, and those brands. And, you know, you look again at, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, they have, you know, DC. Uh, obviously, Disney does have Marvel, but obviously we talked about the premium you have to pay for right. Disney. But getting those types of assets, I, I think if they're interested in that space, you know, is going to be difficult to accrue naturally and, and what the organically whole, organically and what the, what the whole thing is is that content and and to watch that content because we want to be entertained we want that we want to be entertained with something new exciting fast uh, easy to get uh and that for me for apple i mean that would make a lot of sense because you've got the, the, the device in your hand um yeah you got to put something on it for people well and the other thing that you look at too is apple also talks about you know maybe perhaps gaming and yeah. uh, one thing that Warner Brothers has as well is they actually just released a, a Hogwarts game, and that has done phenomenal in terms of the you know people buying it and right. the demand for it. So you know you can actually create gaming content as well from the intellectual property, which is kind of a win-win as well for Apple. I, I'm going to say even if they bought Warner Brothers, I still wouldn't say Apple's a buy because it's too expensive. But right. You know, I, I think long term, it if it is a business they're interested in building, I think it's going to be very difficult. As I said to do organically. I think an acquisition would be much easier, and I, I think there's much better targets than trying to go after Disney. Yeah, and and, and you're right. Apple's very expensive, but they they'd be the acquirer. But maybe the company you want to buy is not Apple, but the companies they're looking at acquiring. Yeah, so the Warner Brothers, Paramount. I mean, what what are they going to do? And and you may be wrong. They they may not do anything, but. They, 
they've got to do something. They, 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 can't, they, they can't keep just coming out with an iPhone 25 now. Like, oh, big deal. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so. I know. It, it, yeah, because then they just have to keep raising the price on the iPhone, and that's the only way that they're going to get, you know, earnings growth. And then right. you're trading at such high multiple that you still need earnings growth. And, and, and then there's some of us that still have the iPhone 8. Yeah, I think that's what I have. Yeah, I think you have the 8. <laughs> and I, I got to say, my battery's starting to act a little crazy, though. Is it time to go to the iPhone 9? I, I think what I would do, you know, I was talking to Harrison, our financial planner, and, and he's got the iPhone 6, so he's behind me, um, is we talk about doing the iPhone SE, which oh, is yeah. like, because I, I don't like the big phones. I don't I, like I, either. I, I, it's just too much, and I like the size of my phone, and I think the SE is the same size as my phone, so that might be my next step. I think that's like $495, though, that I, I don't know if I want to part with. <laughs> We'll move on to uh, Binance. <laughs> Let's talk about some cryptocurrency here. Uh, there has been quite the has been quite the week for Binance, which is the world's largest crypto exchange. Uh, you you wouldn't know it from the price of Bitcoin because I think it's now still above uh, twenty eight thousand dollars, which defies logic. And I'm sure more people get burned once again. The CFTC, uh, known as the, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, has charged Binance with operating illegally in the U.S. and violating rules to prevent illicit financial activity. And, and billions of dollars have been walking out the door from the company. And as we said months ago, Binance would be the next crypto company to fall. And, and as these crypto companies continue to fall, I, I don't know how Bitcoin can stay at these levels, especially if, if Binance does fold. Right. And uh, again, I think it's realistic that that could occur. I, I this whole idea of adoption for Bitcoin becoming wider spread is like, so these exchanges were supposed to make it easier to buy Bitcoin. And, and honestly, in the first place, I don't even understand why you need the exchanges to buy something like Bitcoin. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. That, yeah. That's my feeling is, ugh. <laughs> right. and, and I kind of look at the exchanges. And again, you had what FTX go up. They're just falling by the wayside. And it, it did make it easier because the digital wallet that they have, and I'm not a crypto expert by any means, but you know, you could lose your password. You could lose, you know, not how to get it. All these problems you could have. With the exchanges, I think they made it easier for people, which people want simplicity. Well, if they go away, you're back to doing it the hard way again, and you know, who's gonna be buying it? It loses the excitement is, is what I'm seeing. But, well, I mean, the funny thing is, it's almost like an oxymoron when you, when you look at, at Bitcoin, is, you know, Right now, I saw a headline on, on the news. Oh, Bitcoin rises as risk on trade goes yeah. back. Well, Bitcoin was rising the other week as a, a counter to, to the banking system and, right. uh, you know, stick it to the man. And, yeah, we don't need the banks and it's going to be crypto. <laughs> and, and the funny thing that I look at as well is, is, is these people that, you know, go to these banks and then you know about the FDIC insurance. You yeah. know that it's 250000 That's a pretty widespread fact that people know about. And then you lose money, and you're going to complain about it. Well, who in the heck is not going to complain if you lose money in Bitcoin then? All these people are going to, oh, it's not fair that I lost money in Bitcoin. <laughs> if Bitcoin were going to zero, I bet you there would be a huge class of people that would want the government to be involved. And it's funny because what is the whole concept that Bitcoin is created on to get away from the government? Right. But if it fails, people are going to complain and ask the government for money. It's just, it, it's stupid in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it really is. And it's just something that there's a, a group of, of people that really push Bitcoin. And 
and you got enough people that's going to push it up. But it, there's still there's no use for it. You bring a good point. People lose money. Well, where's the government? How's the government come to protect me? Well, you bought Bitcoin because you want to get away from the government, but you want that protection. Um, it, it's just again, I still say it's a gambling chip. I will not do anything with it. Uh, we talked uh, before about how things would fall. We're, we're laying out the, the groundwork that things are falling. Binance, oh, that's not going to happen. Oh, now they look like they're going to have problems. And, and the other thing I, I look at, and, you know, we, we've talked about Elizabeth Warren a decent amount when it comes to the banking right. system. And, you know, there are aspects that I, I definitely strongly agree with her when it comes to banking. And I think she goes overboard, but there does need to be safety in banking. And if you don't have that it, it's really hard to have a, a society where you can lend out money and grow and, and have capital that's trustworthy. I mean, there, there's all of, I'm all about, you know, good regulations and capitalism. But, you know, many times they, they go too far on the other side, I would say. But I, I was going to say one fact that that has kind of been percolating that, that I, I've been con thinking about is there's this concept of know your customer. Right. And you don't know your customer in Bitcoin. It, it, it encourages this illicit activity. And, and I mean, if you are for Bitcoin, I, I, you're for, you know, uh, child trafficking. You're for, you know, the, the Middle East kind of building up these mass weapons of mass destru destruction. I mean, you're encouraging this type of behavior because there's no way to know your customer in Bitcoin, which is a very dangerous path to go down, in my opinion. And it, it's hard to walk that balance. But I, I just... I don't think morally it's a good thing either. Right. And and Bitcoin could go above 30000 I mean, it's just a gambling chip, but there's no reason for it. Uh, if you're in it, you know, and you made money, congratulations. But again, you're gambling. You go to Vegas, you make money as well. So, I mean, it's not going to be a stable currency. Some Someday things will collapse, and I, I think those days are coming soon. Well, the thing I think is interesting, too, is, you know, <clears throat> I mean, these people that are all for, like, going against the big banks, and I, I mean— one thing that I'm sure you've seen as well is Jamie Dimon's being deposed because Jeffrey Epstein was a client of J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And it's like they're going as far to say, no, you're a customer. And, and it's like that is a huge, huge stretch. Huge stretch. Yeah. But, I mean, they want that type of like regulation, which I think is, again, too far. Right. You can't know every single customer. Right. But – you can avoid groups like ISIS and stuff right, yeah. and make sure we're not having them have money. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. that That's kind of where I think regulation needs to walk that fine balance. But, you know, you can't have completely unregulated markets. It's 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 too dangerous. Yeah. People want them when it's going up, when it's going down. They want the government protection. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Well, we get we get this from our newsletter that we do, and uh, if you want more information about the newsletter, because there's other topics we talk about uh, this past week, and that was money market funds. We talk about the banking industry, L.A. real estate tax. God, that's one you got to read. Uh, pending home sales, buy now, pay later, coming out from Apple, global trade, all these different things we talk about in the newsletter. It is a free newsletter. You can get it by simply going to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smart investing. 2000.com. It's right in the middle of the page. Just click on it, sign up for it, and uh, you'll get the newsletter at 5 o'clock every Friday. And people love it because it's it's quick to read. You get great information out from it. Probably read it in four or five minutes. And uh, topic there is like, say you don't care about Bitcoin. Yeah, don't read that section. Read the next one. Yeah, so. I, I talked to a, a, a friend in Mississippi that, that uh, I recently met actually on, on vacation. And 
Um, you know, he listened to the podcast and stuff now too. He's like, I asked him about the newsletter and he's like, yeah, it's everything that I, I kind of wanted to learn about yeah. and it, it's quick and easy. So yeah. you can become a smarter investor in a very short time frame yeah. and have topics to talk, go to party that night on Friday night. You got something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's going to be something there no. for everybody. I think, you know, you want to talk about Bitcoin, you want to talk about money markets, you want to talk about banking, taxes, industry, taxes, it's, it's there for you. So again, at the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Well, Chase, I'm very excited. I think you are as well. This is now April. We're not excited because it's April, but we're excited because we have a workshop coming up on Thursday, April 20th at 6 o'clock uh, at our offices in uh, Scripps Ranch there. Uh, you got to, you know, how you should be investing now. I mean, this is a big concern for people. Should I be investing? Is a recession coming or not? We're going to cover that. Will there be a recession or not? We'll talk about that. And our price fluctuations keeping you from investing, that's very hard for people right now because we do have more volatility. So it is hard to invest. We'll cover that for you. And also, too, how proper financial planning can reduce your taxes. We got a great section on that for you. It is a free workshop. All you need to do is sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And that is for Thursday, April 20th, 6 p.m. Uh, probably we say till eight. It probably goes about 7.30. Uh, with with questions, we normally hang around till like eight just yeah, to answer kinda, any questions. Yeah, no, kind of let you know how it goes. We we, we probably speak for about an hour, take some questions, uh, then we 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 wrap it up, and then we hang around because people don't want to ask questions in in a public setting, and then we'll ask the personal questions afterwards. So so we're probably there to eight o'clock. But it's, it's you know been doing those for years, so they're very helpful. We got some new information there to help you out, uh, especially this time when you're kind of concerned about investing, this is the time you want the workshop. Again, it is free, smartinvesting2000.com. And well, I, I will do want to piggyback <clears throat> off that too, is because it is so fun. This is a time where a lot of times people say, I'm just not going to do anything. And they're kind of frozen or it, it works one of two ways. You know, people will kind of say like, oh, I'm just going to go to cash and, and wait until again, things settle down. We talked about why that's not the right thing to do. But another thing people right. do is like, <clears throat> oh, I'm just going to like not look at my account. Well, if you don't know what you hold, as you kind of say, that's very dangerous as well. Yeah. So you, you got to, again, understand your portfolio and how it's being invested. And I think that's one thing we really pride ourselves on is we have a discipline and, and we really convey to our clients what our discipline is so they know why they don't need to panic in these downturns. If you're just holding a bunch of different mutual funds and have asset allocation model, there might be reason to panic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And, and you said if they're not looking at their accounts, well, our clients, we tell them they don't have to look at our accounts because we are. And our money's invested the same way as our clients. So we're looking at our accounts. We know what's going on. And we don't look at, all oh, the day-to-day -day movement. We're looking at the fundamentals of the companies we're investing in. So you don't have to look at your your accounts if you are invested with Wilson Asset Management because we are watching the businesses, not the day-to-day -day gyrations of the, of the stock price, which means nothing at all. Yeah. So, All right. Phone numbers. Totally forgot to get those out. So now we've got no calls waiting. 833 Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Again, eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Well, we got a couple of uh, people here that uh, sent us uh, emails and, and called and so forth. Uh, one is a, a tool who lives in Chino Hills. He wants to talk about Kohl's, and I'm kind of excited that because I know we 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 did kind of well with uh with uh Kohl's years ago, and we, we got out of it. They had some great things going on. It seems that uh, all those great things they had are gone. So I'm kind of curious if maybe now it's time to go back into Kohl's. I mean, it is a, a big retailer, 
Uh, they do have uh, now Sephora. I believe their contract is fully implemented where Sephora is in all the Kohl's. Is that done? Should be. I mean, I haven't looked at Kohl's in depth in, in a few years now. So. <laughs> have you and been to Kohl's? No, no. I, I used to go to Kohl's. I don't, I don't go there any longer. It's a little bit out of the way. Uh, I did go to the one. Uh, well, I went by the one in Poway. I did see Sephora is a big, a big thing there, and makeup is just huge. Sephora is owned by, and I can't say it. It's uh, oh, uh, it's the uh, they own Louis Vuitton and, yeah. and uh, the, the big just LVMH is the ticker go. symbol, Thank and you. it's yeah. uh, Bernard Arnault is the CEO. I think he he was, and if not, is still the the richest man in the world. Yeah. That stock is way, way overpriced. Yeah, I, I looked at that like, woo, that's expensive. Just like their goods. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And their goods have gone up a lot, and it's just like, wow. You go in the store, like, what? Well, you can't even get anything for two thousand dollars there, unless you want a belt. You want a belt? Here, two thousand dollars. <laughs> I, I gotta say too about Coles. You know, it's funny. I remember a year or two ago, somebody on social media kind of like blasted us because they knew that we bought Coles, and they were like. Oh yeah, what do these guys know? And it's like, oh yeah, I knew COVID was gonna happen, and, right? You know, and, and I, that's one thing that kind of happened to these department stores. It it really changed the tra trajectory of of the business model because it it wiped out essentially a couple years of of revenue streams. Yeah, yeah, it it really. And I I didn't know that the CEO left, Michelle Glass. Who Michelle we, got, yeah, yes, uh, we like. She is now. She went to Nike, I think. Which uh, I'm not sure where she went. I know she maybe. Yeah, some, some, some place you want. Yeah, look it up. I'll, I'll look at the numbers here again. We're talking about Kohl's department stores. Their symbol is uh, KSS. Uh, they are in the de department store industry. Wow, uh, float is high, 23.4%. That's on the short side, so there are a lot of, a lot of shorts there. Um, we do see that 100% uh, institutional ownership. Uh, they did report earnings on January 31st. Uh, unfortunately, the, the first number, P.E. ratio, not material versus 18 for the industry. For the last 12 months, they have no earnings, which does surprise me because we've kind of been through uh, the, the COVID situation. Price of sales, very inexpensive, a 0.2 versus 0.4. Price of tangible book value does look good, 1.1 versus 7.3. And price of cash flow is expensive at 10 versus 6.2. Now, earnings growth over the past year and even five years, there's nothing there. The industry was up 18.8% for the past year. Sales for Kohl's did decline by 6.9% over the last year, more than the industry declined by 5.4%. Uh, the five-year estimated growth for Kohl's based on the earnings going forward by the analysts, a negative 17.8%. So that's not good. The industry is negative 1.8. Wow. They do pay an 8.5% dividend, but they have no earnings. So there's no payout ratio, which means that dividend probably is at risk look at the cash flow statement, see if their cash flow pause. I might do that when Chase is looking at the other numbers. Uh, we do see that the uh, buyback yield is high, 26.1. So maybe they're buying back a lot of stock, which could be positive. But are they borrowing to buy that stock? That's that's a big question. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.2. That's the same as the industry. Debt to equity has climbed uh, 2.0 versus 1.8. I know when we had Kohl's, they would have not had that type of debt to equity. I think it's much lower. I think they borrowed a lot of money to... Keep, uh, keep going here. Net profit margin, a negative 0.1%. Industry, a positive 2.3. Return on equity, a minus 0.5% versus a positive 7.8. And return on invested capital, only 1.4. Gosh, it's not looking good here. Unless you have something major there, Chase. Uh, not looking good. Well, current price here for Kohl's, $23.54. 52-week high, $61.84. And then a low, $20.90. I see year-to-date it's down 4.7%. Over the last one year, wow, down 58%. 
The three-year return from COVID is not bad at 77.5%, but gosh, yeah, five years, 50, negative 55.8. So, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's really disrupted this business. Also, did look up Michelle Gass. She is at Levi. That's where Levi, that's what it was. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that as well. Uh, but going forward, January 2025, they do report on a fiscal basis. The estimated earnings per share is $3.11. Looking at that $3.11 and using our 16.6 multiple, we get a good target sell price of $51.63. It, it trades at a forward PE essentially of about seven and a half times. So it, it's great valuation. Um, the only thing I would point out is how are they going to have that earnings growth? I mean, you got to understand the story behind that earnings growth because I, I personally don't know how they would get earnings growth essentially. Yeah, and, and I did look at the cash flow statement uh, for the year. It looks like they, they did, were, uh, net cash from uh, operations was a positive $707 million, which is actually pretty positive. Uh, going back to January of 22, is 497. So that is one positive you can find for Kohl's, but, uh, and you did have good numbers going forward on the earnings. Uh, what was the range of those, uh, those estimates? Do you have that? Uh, yeah, so it's, Two dollars and forty-four cents to three dollars and eighty-four cents. So it's it's a pretty big decently range. wide range. And, and I show the seventeen analysts. So that's pretty big. Um, I, I I just that's the only positive in the cash flow. Lot lot of debt there. I did see that their debt looks like it's increasing, not decreasing. Uh, let me just look at that real quick. Sample the balance well, sheet. And, and yeah. the other thing too, while you're looking that up, is you know. Um, we didn't hold it when the Sephora deals were kind of being implemented, essentially. Or we That was something they were talking about. Right. So I'm not sure how they're structured. You, you know, do they get a cut of Sephora sales that occur in the store, or are they just using Sephora to bring in traffic? Because it's like maybe people just go to Sephora and they yeah. don't buy anything at Kohl's, and it's not really helping them a ton. So that's something I would want to understand. And that was one thing that I saw as a negative, because there's a separate entrance. And this is in the Poway store to Sephora. So you don't even have to go in a Kohl's store to get the makeup at Sephora, which I think was a big mistake because Michelle, Michelle Gass used to put the stuff in the back with Amazon. Remember Amazon? Yeah. You had to go in the back to get it. So you have to go buy stuff. To, oh, well, maybe I should buy that. With Sephora, you can go in and out, not even go in the Kohl's section. Now that was just that one there. I think we did go one time. Or no, maybe that was, no, I think it was up in uh, Escondido. I think we went to one and uh, it was kind of a small Sephora in the back somewhere. But yeah. And I just, <clears throat> the, these, these department stores, is, they, they do concern me because you listen to companies like Nike, uh, like these other retail brands, essentially. They talk a lot about D to C, which is direct to consumer. Yeah. They don't talk about selling to Kohl's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to build their, their brand. And I think some brands also worry about being in a store like Kohl's as it, it could hurt brand perception. Right. So I, I just... It's something that I, I, ever since COVID, I, I've been extremely cautious around because I, I I don't like companies that don't own their own brands because if it does go that route and let's say Nike starts opening up more stores because like oh, it's more profitable to open a you know a small store rather than to sell to to a Coles. I, I mean that would really hurt the department store industry. Yeah, I, I just don't see department stores being the way to go down the road. I, I did look at their debt. Their debt is up to over seven. Uh, billion dollars, which is in the range. I, I see a low back in uh, April 2021 was six billion. Uh, so not outlandish, but I just don't see the catalyst. Even though the numbers from the analysts look pretty good, I just don't see the catalyst of 
getting into Kohl's. One last thought on it was I remember years ago when we held it, real estate was actually something that a lot of analysts pointed to as being a positive for Kohl's as they yeah. actually owned a lot of it. Um, that is something that uh, could, could help with it. But I, I do worry if department stores aren't as profitable, maybe that real estate isn't as valuable as well. So that could that could be. And where is that real estate located? And that's why I think there was like uh, some corporate raiders trying to get onto it or something. And you know. And and the thing I will say again, uh, we kind of talk about this is uh, on the REITs is it does kind of discount the book value when you look at debt to equity. If they do own a lot of real estate, that's been depreciated. Via accumulated depreciation yeah. over time, it could have a higher market value, which would then raise the equity of the company, essentially. So um, something that is a potential positive, but quite frankly, I, I'm not interested in the Kohl's. I'm not interested in the department store space. I, I just, I don't think it's a, a place I, I want to be for investing. So not worth the research. Nope. Nope. Exactly. All righty. Let's move on. Phone numbers here. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to El Cajon and speak with Joanne. Joanne, you are on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Good morning, guys. Just wondering what your thoughts on InMode. The ticker sign is I-N-M-D. Okay, and do you hold that or looking to buy it? No, I'm, I'm curious. I'm looking to buy it because I hear about it from several different sources now. Okay, well, let's take a look at InMode. Their symbol is I-N-M-D. They are in the medical devices industry. Uh, float, eh, about 6.4% on the short side. That's not too bad. Institutional ownership, about 58%. Not a bad start here. P.E. ratio 16.9 versus 114 for the industry, so that's a positive. However, price to sales 6 versus 4.1. Price to book value 4.8. That's very good because the industry is at 65, so that's another positive. Price to cash flow 15 versus 39. That's another positive. Peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth going forward, 1.1 versus 6.2. The lower the number, the better, so that's a positive. Looking at the earnings growth, unfortunately, last year they were down 4.1%, but the whole industry was down 75%. Uh, sales did climb over the past year by 20.2%, but yet the industry was still down a negative 1.4%, so that's a good move there. Uh, Five-year growth rate, uh, estimated by the analysts, 12.5%, uh, just slightly under the industry at 144 And I, I do like this industry because I think medical devices is going to be continue to grow. Uh, unfortunately, they do not pay a dividend. Looking at the balance sheet, got a current ratio of 7.7 .7 versus 2.4. Now that shows a lot of liquidity. It does make you kind of question like, hey guys, you got a lot of liquidity there. Can't you invest this money and get a better return than maybe you know the, the three or 4% you're getting? So that's one thing I always see when I see a current ratio above three or four, I really start questioning what management is doing. And then looking at the uh, net profit margin, very nice, 35.6 versus 4.4. Return on equity, 29.1 versus 12. And return on invested capital, 32.4 versus 6.6. So I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing. It depends on what you got going forward here, Chase. Yeah, well, so looking at the company, they, they do provide, it looks like here, minimally and non-invasive surgical aesthetic and medical treatment solutions in the U.S. Uh, solutions address three based energy-based treatment categories that include face and body contouring. I, I'm not quite sure what that is. I think I've heard my <laughs> wife talk about it. <laughs> She's so young, she doesn't need that yet. <laughs> Medical aesthetics and women's health, which you know I, I think are all pretty prevalent in today's society. So I, I think it's kind of fitting a good need. And it looks like it's used, uh, its technology is used in plastic surgery, dermatology, uh, gynecology, and I don't know what that word is, uh, 
ophthalmology. I, I'm just not going to say that one. That one was too hard. <laughs> but it, it it seems interesting for sure. And when I look at kind of the current price for the business, I mean it. it it's at thirty-one ninety-six. It is off the fifty-two week high of forty-one eighty-four. It has climbed off the fifty-two week low of twenty dollars and sixty cents. But I still see here year to date it's down ten and a half percent. So it, it has had a little bit of a pullback. But the thing that's quite intriguing to me as I go out to December two thousand twenty-four, I do see estimated earnings per share for this business at two dollars and ninety-seven cents. Uh, gives us a, a pretty decent target sell price here of forty-nine dollars and thirty cents essentially trades at a 4P of about 10, 11 times. You know, and I think I have seen this product in my doctor's office. And and, and the non-invasive means, I, I guess they don't do cutting or something. <clears throat> and it seems to be growing. And we know that the beauty industry is doing extremely well. It's very resistant. There could be something here, but I want to understand more about it. Because one thing when I see those brochures, I always wonder, does it really work or is it more of a scam? I, and, and I got to say, Joanne, I, I think it's worth the research because this could be a boom company if what they do really does work. I mean, it, it, I, you're getting good valuations on it. Growth this year is estimated about 7.5% on earnings. Next year it's estimated about 14% on those earnings. So you have good growth here, good valuations. A uh, number of analysts, there there are just six. It's about a $2 billion market cap, so it's a little bit smaller. I'm okay with six analysts. It, it doesn't excite yeah. me to have that many, but I, I'm okay with it. Especially when you look at the range of those, it's it's two dollars and ninety five cents to three dollars, so a pretty Close. darn tight yeah. range there. I mean, it's I, I'm going to say it's it's intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I kind of like this because this could be something going forward. I, I wish the market cap's a little bit higher. I think it was like about three billion, which is not small, but it's not big. We'd like to be a little bit bigger. But Joanne, I think you may have stumbled across something here that could be worthwhile looking into because I, I like the industry. The numbers look good. Uh, the only thing that worries me is that will this be something that, yeah, it really didn't work and people spent, you know, thousands of dollars and because there's so many things out there in the the, the, the field on to, to fix your face and, and then you find out, oh, th- theirs really didn't work and then there's lawsuits and everything else, so. To fix your face. <laughs> well, okay, never quit. Use some terms. But, you, you know, people trying to look younger, no, get rid of the wrinkles. Hey, you're not there yet. I got the I wrinkles. Know. I know what they're talking about. So, so Joanne, I, I think it is worth a work, uh, looking into it because it, it, it looks pretty good. It could be good. All righty? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 288-0973. Should I use the word enhance your face? Would that have been better than fix your face? I, I'm just going to leave it at maybe plastic surgery. Okay. <laughs> you know? Let's just move along, maybe. Okay. Fixing your face, enhancing your face means your face looks bad. So. <laughs> aging. Aging is a big thing. We all want to look young. You, know? Know. you don't know that. You're, you're, <laughs> it's your birthday oh, today. Oh, I'm 30 now. Hey. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, your wrinkles are really showing. Be careful there. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's time to talk to our financial planner, uh, Harrison Johnson. So let's go to Harrison and talk about California Down Payment Assistance Program. Harrison, what are we talking about here? Hey there, guys. Um, happy birthday, Chase. 30th birthday on this April Fool's Day. Um, Thank you. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, this uh, in, in the last few weeks, I've talked about buying versus renting and also companies that offer um, shared equity agreements to help make down payments. So today, this is another twist to all that. Um, this program, it's called the California Dream for All Shared Appreciation Loan. It launched 
this last Monday, so it's brand new, um, and its purpose is to help Californians make down payments to buy houses. So the way it works is you can essentially borrow up to 20% of the purchase price of, home, of the home from the state to make your down payment. Um, once you do that, you don't have to make any payments on this down payment loan, and it doesn't accrue interest. Um, you still have your normal mortgage, but on, on just this down payment part, it doesn't accrue interest, and it doesn't. Uh, you don't have to make any payments on it. And then when you sell or refinance the home, you have to pay back the amount you borrowed plus 20% of the appreciation of the home. So let's say you buy a home for 750000 you can borrow 20% to make the down payment. That's uh, $150,000, and then you get a conventional mortgage for the remaining $600,000 purchase price. And then if you sell the home in the future for, let's say, a million dollars, you have to pay back that original 150 that you borrowed plus 20% of the appreciation from 750 up to a million. Um, so that's $250,000 appreciation, 20% of that is $50,000. So the total repayment is the 200K, um, or 150 plus the, the 50, so $200,000, um, and then the remaining equity that you have is 200 grand plus whatever you paid your mortgage down by. So to be eligible for this, you have to be a first-time home buyer, which is kind of a technicality because all that means is you can't have owned a home in the last three years. Um, you can only do this for a primary residence. You have to complete some home buyer education counseling, and you have to meet the income limits, which is income limits by county. And in San Diego, your income has to be less than two hundred and eleven thousand dollars, which is you know not a small amount. And then also, if your your income is below around eighty five thousand dollars, then your your shared appreciation is only fifteen percent instead of twenty percent. Um, and then this program has to be paired with a Cal HFA Dream for All first mortgage. So the, the first mortgage has to be part of this. You can't just go to any lender to, to get a loan. And then lastly, um, it can be for single family, one union residence, um, condo type stuff. You can't, can't use it for duplexes or triplexes or, or anything like that. So how does this program compare to the other shared equity companies out there? Because there's companies that do this. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about a client that was stuck in one and how bad it was. And the main difference is the companies that do this take a much larger percent of the appreciation. Usually, it's like 50% or more. In this case, it's 15 to 20%. So it's, it's not nearly as bad as you know those, those companies are that are doing that. And then as far as this program compared to buy, buying normally or renting, um, well, if your property value goes down, then renting makes sense, and then that's the only thing. Um, you know, in this case, if you buy a property with this program and it goes down, you're immediately underwater because you're essentially borrowing 100% of the purchase price of the house. Um, if property values stay the same, then there's no appreciation, so you don't have to essentially pay anything to to, to have that down payment loan that you have, you still have to pay the loan back, but there's no extra amount that you have to pay back. But in that case, you're still paying the regular mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, the upkeep, all that stuff. And then, so in that case, you're still most likely better off renting because your monthly cash flow is less. And so really the best case scenario is you 
use this program, the property goes up a lot, in which case, you know, you, you get some appreciation, but now a big chunk of that you have to give away um, when you refinance or sell the home. So overall, I think there are some ap- applications where this can make sense, but in most cases, I think either buying normally using your own down payment, even if it's less than 20%, or renting is still going to you know, be a better option for you long term. And I can see problems with this as well. And, and, and the government tries to do things to help people out, but I just don't think they, they think it through. Uh, I, I can see somebody kind of forgetting about it and, oh, let's remodel the house and let's spend $50,000. Let's get a line of credit, which I'm assuming they could maybe still go to the bank to do that. I don't know if they we prevent it from doing that, but they do that. They borrow 50, uh, 75. You know, a lot of, a lot of banks don't like to issue additional loans on this because okay. there's, you know, when you get a loan, you're using the equity as collateral where in this case, the collateral kind of depends on what the appreciation is. And so a lot of times if you have one of these things on there, you, you can't, you can't just refinance the, the first mortgage that you have. You have to do both. And, and you can't um, take a, you and you can't off. take a second, you can't take a second out from them either. Cause that, that, that would be a positive. Cause that, what I was going to say, and maybe somebody would take money from somewhere else, you know, put in 50, 75,000 remodel of the house. Well, they made the house appreciate more, but at the end, the, the state's going to get the 20% appreciation. They don't care that you put in 50 or 75,000 in the house. So I, I just don't, right. like, I don't like complicated things. I'm going to tell you one of the words the government loves predatory. <laughs> I just have <laughs> nightmares of this 15 years from now about yeah. how the government was predatory lending. And it's not fair that people have to give up the appreciation on the property, even though they forgot about it and forgot about the rules and so forth. And I, I just see this being a disaster years down the road and people saying it's not fair. Because, you know, while I don't think real estate's going to do well over the next five to ten years, I still think over the next, let's say, 15, 20 years perhaps, it will go up. it's going to go up. Well, I think people are going to be pissed off down the road and they're for, they're, they're going to forget the deal. I mean, it's just like people complain about high, high interest rates on credit cards. I've oh, heard- who doesn't know that credit cards have high interest rates? It's just... It, it, I think this is going to be problematic. Or I borrowed money from my student loan. I shouldn't have to pay it back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think you're right, Jason. I mean, that, that could be a problem. And the government, wait, I thought the government didn't have any money. Where are they getting the money from? So um, I, I, you know, and Harrison, it's so good you bring this up because these are things when it comes to financial planning that people don't think about. They get excited about, and it is very exciting to buy a house. But you really got to think through the numbers because you could be having, it'd be the best decision you made in your life or the worst nightmare you ever came across. So, Yeah, and I think, um, you know, everyone always says that, well, especially in California, property values are so high, um, it's so hard to make that down payment, which, you know, it's true. A lot of cases, down payment's really high. But if you're someone who is renting and, and can't get enough to make the down payment, even if you had the down payment, I think it would still be a challenge to make the monthly payment as well, because when you transition from renting to buying, you know, your monthly payment could double or more, um, right. you know, even if you had the down payment. So it, it seems like to me, in a lot of cases, if you're renting, you know, maybe don't live in a luxury apartment, maybe live in a, you know, a normal apartment that's a little bit cheaper, try and save up some money and then use that to make your down payment um, because that proves that you can save that difference. And then when you do buy, you have that cash flow that you can allocate toward the home. Um, and then you want to do that in a time where it makes sense to buy where you get that appreciation. Because again, in last week, we said it, it really only makes sense to buy a house if you are going to get that appreciation to make up for the extra cash flow that you're putting into it. 
And so, you know, like I said, there, there might be some people that, that can benefit from this, but it just makes things complicated. And, um, you know, if I house for a million dollars, it goes to $2 million. What? I have to give up $200,000 in my appreciation, <laughs> but I put a, you know, $100,000 remodel into this. Yeah. Well, you also paid all the property taxes. You also, you know, paid all the property insurance on that. Um, and you only get a portion of the appreciation. So you really got to understand the numbers. Um, and, you know, but again, this is brand new, just, just launched on Monday. Um, and the state is allocating $300 million for this that they expect to help around 2,300 transactions. So it's something new that's out there. Well, Harrison, this is why people need a good financial planner to go through these things with them. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you have a great day. I know you're enjoying the celebration with Chase today. So we'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. So have a good one. All right. Thanks, Brent. We'll see okay. you Monday. All right. Again, this is uh, Harrison Johnson. He is our financial planner, the CFP. He is uh, on a salary, does not you know, sell you annuities or life insurance to make money. Uh, he does not sell any product. He is a fee-based financial planner. If you want to have a consultation with him, call him at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, Smart Investing 2000. Dot com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. I do, I do see we got Val in San Diego. Before we go to Val, I want to talk about the workshop because it is coming up. It'll be before you know it. It's April 20th. And we'll talk about how you should be investing now because that's what's kind of scaring people. Will there be a recession? Will there not be a recession? We'll talk about that and show you how to invest during a recession or without a recession. We'll talk about that. Uh, are price fluctuations keeping you from investing? I know it's a hard time to invest, but if you have something to hold on to and you understand why you're investing, you don't worry about the emotional side. You've got something concrete to build a good portfolio. And then also, too, you just heard from Harrison Johnson how proper financial planning can reduce your taxes. That's an important thing. It gives you more money to invest. So that is going to be Thursday, April 20th from 6 to 8. There is no cost for the workshop, but you got to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, phone numbers here, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Val. Val, you're in the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, I am interested in Vermilion Energy. It's a Canadian uh, energy company, mostly in oil, and the New York Stock Exchange symbol is VET. V E T. Okay. And uh, Val, do you hold that or look at a buy that? I have had it before, but I got out of it because it was dropping, and I'm thinking of rebuying. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, Vermilion Energy, symbol is VET. They are in the oil and gas ENP industry. Uh, we do see institutional ownership very low, 34.7%, nothing short on the company. P.E. ratio only 2.3 versus 5.7. Obviously a low industry P.E., but even lower for the company. Uh, price of sales looks good, 0.8 versus 1.6. Price to book value also 0.8 versus 4.5. Price of cash flow checks in at 1.6, about half the industry at 3.7. And a very nice peg ratio of 0.2 versus 4.3. So Valuation ratio is looking very good here. We do see earnings per share uh, up 40% over the last year, but the industry was up 85%. Sales for VET were up a 39.2 versus 37.2. Five-year growth rate shows at 20.9 
versus 4.5. So all that's looking pretty good. You do see a dividend yield of only 2.3%, but they only use 5% of their earnings to pay that out compared to the industry using 32% of their, their earnings. Uh, look at the balance sheet, current ratio 0.8 versus 1.6. A little bit low, but I'm okay with it if you check the debt levels a little bit more and their cash flow. Uh, debt, debt to equity is 0.3 versus 0.7. That's a positive. Net profit margin 35.3 versus 28. That's big. And then also to return to equity 38.6 versus 32.6. So I like what I'm seeing here. But I'm going to be very curious what you have to say going forward, Chase, because I know it's the energy industry here. Yeah, just real quick, too, on that quick ratio, it's 0.5, and quick ratio excludes inventory from it. And I worry if they can't liquidate the inventory at good prices, yeah. and that could be a problem. So, it, And, and, and the, that inventory is obviously, in, I'm assuming, an oil, yeah. an oil. But I think oil is pretty low. It's around $70 a barrel. It's not like we're talking about 100 So, yeah, yeah I see your point there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just something to keep okay. an eye on. Yeah. Current price, though, for VET, again, Vermilion Energy, $12.97. Yeah, definitely falling there. The 52-week high, $30.17. And the 52-week low, it's $11.93. I see year-to-date down 26.3%. Uh, it's, a again, a, what I'll call like a mid-sized company with a market cap of $2.1 billion. If I go out to December 2024, though, I do see estimated earnings per share here. Wow, $3.24. That would give us a target sell price of Fifty-four dollars is that right? Did I type that incorrectly? Yeah, I mean that—that's a fifty-three seventy-eight is the the target sell price. I mean that, that's huge and at a four PE of about four. I mean it, it's definitely the valuations are there. I uh, will say the <coughs> estimates are are kind of all over the place. As the low is two dollars and forty cents and the high is four forty-nine. There are just four analysts as well. Mm -hmm. So, I, I again, four is kind of pushing my, my comfort level in terms of the number of analysts. I will also say it's interesting, and this year they're estimated to have earnings declined by 44%. So, that's a, a red flag that I'd keep an eye on. Um, but, again, the valuations it, it are definitely intriguing. I, I just would want to know a lot more about this company as I, I think it could be very high risk. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's worth uh, looking into because, again, you got good valuations. You've got... Uh, you know, a reasonable dividend that they're not using much to pay that dividend. Uh, I, oil is not high at this point in time. I think it's a, a fair price now. I, I think it's worth the research. And I, I, I have a feeling that we're missing something. I don't know what it is. But Val, that's why I want to look into it. Because you hate to say, yeah, everything looks great. Brent and Chase said numbers are great. I buy it. And then we miss something because, uh, again, before we buy a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research because we want to understand that business completely to make sure we're not missing something. I mean, it's something that trade around four times earnings. You know, the saying, if it's too good to be true, it normally is. Yeah. I would say normally. There are exceptions. There, there right. are going to be times where it's like, geez, this thing is trading at four times, and, and that's a huge, huge opportunity. But there are other times, there's a reason it's trading at four times earnings. So it, it, I would want to look for that reason. What is going on with this company? Because that is, it, it's in my opinion, too low of valuation. Yeah, and I would have, could there be a lawsuit? Could there be something going on with it? So yeah, you want to understand it uh, before you get into it because there could be, you know, something something going on that we're not seeing in the numbers. So, but I, I again, I got to say, worth the research there, Val. I think the missing element may be this. They were forced to pay a huge uh, windfall profits tax in Europe, mm -hmm. which they did pay off. Mm -hmm. But it is that huge uh, profit tax in uh, Woodfall profit tax in Europe that depressed their their earnings recently. 
See, now if they depress I don't know from anything besides that that is right. a, that is uh, a dark element in, in their future. And, and, and thinking through this, you said they paid that and depressed their earnings, but they still had a P-E ratio of 2.3. So that would be high earnings uh, there still. So, yeah, yeah, that that's something they did, but it's it just a, a, a P-E of 2.3 means you, you get your money back in 2.3 years. That's just yeah. a... a Unheard of. So, but but worth the well, research. Uh, that. That's the reason I'm looking at it again. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that that's what you do because, and again, when we buy a, a company, <clears throat> we'll do go through our research, looking, looking, looking. If we can't find any reason not to buy it, we'll buy the company. I'd, I'd say the same thing for this one. If you look deep in the research, right. if you can't find a reason not to buy it, it, it could be a great buy. Well, and one other right. thing. Well, I, I like to combine mm. fundamentals with with good solid. I'm a mathematician, technicals. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm nimble in the latter respect. Yeah. If something is good, I will look at it, but I will look at it only if it looks good technically. And right now, it is kind of on the borderline. Yeah. And I, I would say one other thing before I let you go there, Val, is just with the windfall profit tax, if it happened in the past, I, I could worry it could future? happen again. <laughs> it, it could happen again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Val, good, good okay, luck. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Good luck there. Bye-bye. All right. Gosh, you know, this show just flies on by. I mean, it just it just goes by so quickly. But I do want to talk again about the the workshop because it is going to come up. And, and we only do like four of these a year. So if you're saying, gosh, what do these guys look at? How? What does that mean? Uh, where do they get that from? That's what the workshop is about. We only do, again, four years. So we'll do this one in April. Probably the next one won't be until probably July or something. Uh, it is a free workshop. Uh, goes for probably about uh, 60 to 90 minutes. You learned a lot in that workshop. We, we do have this time to uh, hear some talking more on financial planning, reducing your taxes. Uh, that's going to help you out as well. So there's a lot of information you'll get there. And I've been doing these workshops for many, many years. No one's ever said, eh, I didn't learn anything because we do give you a lot of information there. If you love the radio show, love the newsletters, you've never been to a workshop, you're wondering how we manage money, that's where you want to go to the workshop. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see it right there under. Do we have a, a workshop tab there? I think we do. Yo, right, right in front, isn't it? Sign up for our workshop. It's right at the top of the page. Can't be any easier than that, can it? Yeah. <laughs> so you'll sign up there. And uh, yeah, and I think you'll have a, 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 a I don't want to say a good time, but you'll learn a lot. And you'll see what we do, and you'll see why we've been successful here in San Diego managing money for, gosh, I've been doing this now for over 40 years. I was going to say, well, gosh, we always have a good time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I don't want people to think like, oh, this is a- it's not a party. Not a party, <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's a good time. We make finance as much fun as possible because it, it is a dry subject, uh, but we, we do we do make it fun. And, and I think earning money, you know, is, is good on your investments. I mean, that, that is exciting. What am I talking about here? It's fun to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something that uh, d does work very well. And we'll show you all that. And, and again, what's great, too, is I get to ask questions, you know, in-person questions. As we said, we'll take questions at the end. We do also hang around a little bit afterwards saying, you know, if you want to come up and talk to us and talk to you, me, Harrison in person, and, and talk about their personal situation, what they have that they may not want to bring up. So again, it's a free workshop, uh, a lot of information. And I guarantee you, I can't give many guarantees. I guarantee you there's no place else you can go and get this type of information in a workshop. It just doesn't happen. Somebody's going to go out and try to sell you annuities or sell you, you know, uh, life insurance or something. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. 
It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. You can contact us there, sign up for the workshop there. So again, smartinvesting2000.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. I did all that And may I say